from WBEZ Chicago and the Careless Flame. And this is Pleasure Town. Around the turn of the last century, a group of folk built their dream. A town where happiness was the main objective. But, as history has shown, even the sweetest of fruit spoils. So, keep calm and join us as we shield our eyes from Pleasure Town. Zach? Cyrus! Cyrus! Where's that dead fool? Usually we're tethered in the ether like a tin can to a cat's tail. He's the can and I'm the cat, if you couldn't guess. Strange being alone, here in the dark, in the cold nothing. Just talking to you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, Reminds me when Cy and me first settled Pleasure Town. It was just the two of us in a tent. Not a soul for miles. It's a strange mix of comfort and disquiet in being alone. Looked at through the right lens and you feel like you own the world. The future is yours to make. No attachments. No burdens. But more often, you look at it the other way. You're an island resting in isolation, an unforgiven ocean. It's just waiting to swallow you whole. Side to side. Well, funny how being one part of a pair can leave a permanent impression on you. Been boxed into a duo for so long that's just the form you're prone to take. But when two turns into one, well, that newfound freedom to roam feels mighty good. Nobody in Pleasure Town knew that better than old Jeb. Excuse me, mister. Name's Jeb. Excuse me, Mr. Jeb. I'm not trying to bother you, but I've been traveling all day, and I'm wondering if you might have some food you could spare. Only food I have is strawberries. Big as your palm. Fresh. I just picked them. Strawberries sound delicious. Come on, then. You don't mind me sitting with you a minute? I ain't nervous. Should I be? No, it's just... Oh, you can't see, can you? You want some of these berries or not? Yeah, thank you. Where are you traveling to? Place called Pleasure Town. Strange name, I know. You heard of it? Yes, I've heard of it. You don't want to go to Pleasure Town. What? Sure I do. I've come all this way. I doubt there's much left of it at this point anyway. Last time I was there, it was being burnt to the ground. Great. Just great. You know how long I've been walking? How'd you get out of there in a fire? Wait. (laughs) You started the fire, didn't you? I didn't light that fire. But if I'd known where it would lead me, I might have. You mean here? This little shack? This little shack. This little piece of the world we're sitting on. 
This is the most happiness I've ever known. And here I thought Pleasure Town was a haven for the happy. Look, I thought that myself. But that ain't the truth. I'd hate to see you go down that path only to find disappointment. Besides, your smell... It... It reminds me of my mother. Here. Let me tell you about what I think of Pleasure Town. I didn't plan on leaving it, or my brother either, not consciously anyway. But I suppose when I think back on it, I had done everything I could to ready myself aside from packing a suitcase. My daily walks were getting longer. I knew how much farther I had gotten each day by the distance of my brother Eli's voice calling me back home again. Fainter, more worried. I can understand how fearsome it might have been for him to have me wander off into the woods like that, I guess. He must have thought I'd walk head first into a tree or whatever it is folks are afraid will happen to the blind. To Eli, blindness was the same as him shutting his eyes. A sudden loss of ability, reaching out into the world helplessly to decipher what is and isn't there. Sure, if that's the way one walked into the woods, I'd be scared for them too. But that's not being blind. There's no feeling of loss for something we never had in the first place. We don't face life with our hands over our heads, waiting for the world to crash into us. We know where the trees are. Now, about that fire. Hot. Simple as it sounds, that's all anyone can think about in a fire. That goes for the seeing and the blind. Hot. Then slowly you start to realize what's happening. Without sight, I remember it all in sound and feeling. Then we're outside and safe. I feel a hand on my stomach pushing me back. Eli. He keeps his hand there and I don't know if it's to protect me or to hold on to the last thing he suddenly has left. His last possession. I try to walk away. Towards the woods. I need to get away from the heat. But Eli. He keeps a tight hand on me now. I'm like a child, his child. But I don't need another paw. I already had one of those, and it didn't end well for either of us. It's everything we have inside there, gone. It's our whole lives. Sweeping up hair, listening to white folks go on about their lives. This is my whole life, especially this week during the Feast of the Wretched people conjuring up memories of their oppressors, their oppressors. I've never seen my oppressors. Even here in Pleasure Town, we are not completely exempt from the bigotry towards our biology, which is to say, I have felt deeply the quick passing fear 
of even the most liberal man in town once Eli lathers him up and puts that blade to his neck. Hot. Eli's hand on me. Now smoke. People have gathered. They're all screaming and carrying on. I expect to be overwhelmed by my gift, my ability to sense the trueness of others by the sudden burst of taste in my mouth. I steel myself for the onslaught of bitterness and rot, but nothing comes. The thick smoke has overcome my senses and, at least for now, removed my ability to taste the sadness of the world on my tongue. It is exhilarating. I take a few steps towards the burning shop and feel the tug of my brother's hand. What are you doing, Jeb? Trying to get yourself killed? Hot. I hear the flames lick up the timber. I consider what our life will be after this fire burns out. Our life, not my life. I took a vow of silence when we came here and kept to myself mostly. Now will we become the charity of those in town who didn't lose everything? At the mercy of the object of pity for? No, I won't do it. I have lost my sight, my voice, my parents my livelihood, and sometimes at night, when I remember the man in Arkansas, I wrestle with the notion that my humanity has been lost to. I cannot afford the loss of my last small shred of free will. I would rather lose my life. Like I said before, sometimes you make a quick decision that seems rash then you realize you've been preparing for it all along, testing the waters. This is what it's like to decide to take your own life. You start to remember the times you walked a bit too close to a ravine or jumped down off a tree limb you climbed that was a little too high. You've been teasing fate. But once you officially make a decision like that for yourself, after a lifetime of being dictated to. Such a powerful peacefulness fills you to the brim. I have never felt more alive than in that moment where I decided to die. I grab Eli's hand, the one holding me back, clenching tightly between my palms. Brother, I whisper, unheard. Then I throw his hand away from me and run at full speed into the burning shop. I hear great commotion outside. I'm grateful to those who are undoubtedly out there holding my brother back. Hot. Loud. The flames rising and falling all around me. I'm starting to struggle to find breath. I think of the man back in Arkansas, the one who created fire like this inside of me, the one whose life I took. I remember him gasping the way I am now. I feel connected to him in a way. 
Only he didn't have the luxury of choosing his people. I chose it for him. I crawled to the back of the shop to escape the memories as much as the flames and sit against the wall, waiting for the smoke and fire to take me. Closer. Closer. Floorboards heat up beneath me. Stray embers snap at my fingers and face. Paul, forgive me. Eli, forgive me. Heavenly God, please forgive me. I take my last breath and lean with all my might into the wall behind me as the flames begin nipping at my feet and ankles. I feel something tap, tap, tapping at my knees. Ghost of Pa, I reckon. Our signal for those who were telling the truth back in our hustling car game days. Tap. 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 Yes. Ghost of Pa, I like to think. Saying to me, It wasn't your fault, Jail. You're okay. Come on home now. I reach for Pa. Arms stretched out wide like a baby waking out of a bad dream expecting to be engulfed in flames and paternal adoration when instead, to my surprise, the section of the wall behind me burns out and tumbles down. I roll out backwards, released now from the flames into the dry dirt behind our shop. I jump immediately to my feet, unharmed save for a few scrapes and burns. It appears that death has other plans for today. Eli is in front. I am in back. And there is a raging fire between us. For a moment I imagine it's the bonfire of the Feast of the Wretched. With us brothers standing on either side watching each other burn. I his totem. He mine. I whisper again, and then I run. See, the Lord, he works in mighty tricky ways. While choosing between certain death or life always five feet from my brother Eli, it had never occurred to me that the choice wasn't mine to make at all. God had other plans. He busted out that old Roddy spot in the back of our shop with just a few flames, pulled me out into the fresh air and said, So, Jeb, what are you going to do with that? I ran a few days until I ended up here, in this abandoned house. Well, <laughs> maybe it's more of an old fisherman's shack than a house, but it serves well enough for me. I've got all the berries I can possibly eat in a day, the river right outside, and best yet, not a soul around to bother me. I yelled with delight the first moment I understood it was safe to make a sound again. Don't know that I've stopped talking to myself since, truth be told. I'm happy. Happy. I never would have believed it, but I am. I have waited for this. 
I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mr. Jeb, but I really do need to be on my way. What's that? It's just, I mean, it's a nice story and all, and I'm glad you're happier now, but I'm still gonna go on. You're still going to Pleasure Town, after all I've told you. Got to. I got business there. You sure you don't want to come with me? Bet your brother sure would be glad to know you're alive and well. My absence is a burden lifted for him. Besides, it took all my strength to get this far. Look at my feet, still burnt from the fire. I could never make it all the way back there. But it's not more than ten miles or so. <laughs> ten miles? Is that all? Here I thought I was halfway across the world. Listen, you don't want to go to Pleasure Town. There's nothing left there for anyone now. Like I said, I've got business there. <laughs> oh, the vinegar and mold. What? I can taste it again. You, you should go on. Fine. I'm off then. Last chance, mister. I'm not going there. And please, don't tell anyone that you saw me. If you hear anyone there talking about me, saying, that Jeb, he's in a more peaceful place now. Well, you just nod along. Know that it's true. You understand? Now suit yourself. Thanks for the story. And the berries, Mr. Jeb. I don't know what that girl is looking for, but if she's headed into Pleasure Town, it's probably nothing good. Nah, no need to worry about that place anymore. No need to worry about any of that at all. Well, I lit the match just once. I lit the match just once. What he took from me. What he took from me and all the tears I shed Good and dead Oh, they died by his side in the fire Oh, all my fears Wasted years Oh, they died by his side Pleasure Town will return in a moment. Sure, Jeb relishes independence, but others, well, they fear it. Makes them feel like they're spiraling away from, uh, well, from themselves. Like their very identity is slipping away. It's an important question to ask yourself. Just who are you? No one is around.
tell me. I am not who I was, though I know not who I am. So am I anyone? The ground I stood on that once felt stone solid has eroded over time. Weathered by misfortune. Tragic misfortune. I know exactly who to blame because I wear your visage. A ghastly and cruel reminder of how entities beyond sight are capable of conspiring to wreak havoc from afar. I am not speaking of distances of geography, but of the cosmos. But despite such distance, I am sure you can hear me. You are listening, aren't you? You smile, a wry, sardonic smile, as you watch your little mouse squirm in the trap. We never had the opportunity to get acquainted, did we? They call me by your name. They call me Warren Featherbone the Third, But my name is, well, my name was Alvin Pilfer. And for the latter half of my life, I have assumed this physical ruse in order to claim a thief's hoard of mystical treasures from the seal of Solomon to a vial of genuine Azoth. All these precious things inherited from you, my predecessor, preserved in glass cases, untouched by my hand. For while I would gladly take the opportunity to grip the hilt of the sword of Attila, the very saber passed from Ares himself, I admit I'm consumed by the task of retrieving the Sintamani stone. It has become my white whale and is the sole relic capable of relieving me from the prison of flesh I so foolishly chose as my permanent residence. Satisfied by my impotence, Featherbone, does it amuse you? Because it should. Because every damn day I live as you is a day I feel myself, my true self, slipping away. I have no friends. And those few relationships you had woven, I have unraveled. Like when I was visited by a Mr. Crowley, a toadish man with a passion for the macabre. My inability to recall even the slightest details of what I infer was a close companionship led to the accusation of dementia. As for family, you were an orphan, a man who left no legacy. I have received no visits from children, no letters from relatives. It is as if you were forged from dirt and given life by the devil's breath alone. So, for the longest... I resigned to cloistering myself in your mansion to live out my life as a ghost. Of course, I received messages from my dear daughter, Adrienne. You recall her, right, Warren? My female associate on the night of your passing. Years ago, I sent her to Pleasure Town to track down the Sintamani. Aside from a few hastily scrawled letters, I have heard very little from her. It is quite peculiar, quite out of character for her. 
Dozens of telegrams have been sent. None have received a response. Why? Has my daughter forsaken me? Or perhaps, Featherbone, this is your treachery. It has your stink all over it. Place a wedge between father and daughter. Tear a family asunder. Make me an island of a man and drive me to madness. Yes, let me have all your pretty trinkets, but then steal away the thing I cherish the most. It is the stuff of fables, a moralistic allegory. A man acquires the bounty of a lifetime only to have no one with whom to share it. Ah, but that is not the end of your barbarism. Oh, yes. I may have been ruthless at times in my life. I have scammed and stolen and drawn blood with my hands, but my sins were business. Your sins are frivolous cruelty, the foulest of which has been what you did to Goldie. Goldie, my lover, mother to my children. Can we talk as men, Featherbone? For while I know we are enemies and you wish me nothing but ill and I wish you nothing but vanquishment, we can still talk as men, can't we? Please, pay me that favor. Goldie had the voice of a bird, you know, my golden parakeet, as I would call her as she nuzzled her face into the nape of my neck. She was such a little spitfire when I met her. Oh, Sure, she wore the disguise of an angel well, but I saw what rested beneath that Puritan veneer, and I took it. We were partners, not just in life, but in business. Even if at times she complained she didn't have the stomach for stealing, a part of her enjoyed the thrill. She was so good at being the bait for our marks. The naive passerby, the damsel in distress, these were roles she wore as naturally as a petticoat. But then trouble. I admit, I had a temper. Hard to believe, right, Featherbone? And I admit my love didn't always manifest in ways that are becoming of a lover. But it was love, nonetheless. And then Gracie. When Gracie left us, my golden parakeet stopped singing. Really, I never heard her sing again, not even to Bulger. That light within turned dark and restless. She calmed it with vice, and soon the vice replaced her very soul. Her vision became clouded by plumes of smoke. Her heart pickled in a vat of booze. I wanted to help. You must believe me, Featherbone. But I just didn't know what to do. Spells are not just for the occult. There are earthly spells, too. And she was under one of her own making. I tried to hide her opium. But soon I would find her wandering the house, a drink in hand, searching through cupboards, smashing dishes, turning over furniture. I would try to restrain her and she would fight me off. But it wasn't her. It was someone else. Or rather, something else. Have you ever heard a grown woman yowl like a dying cat? 
Have you ever seen someone forego food for drink to the point that their little arms become so thin they are like whittled sticks? But still, I was committed to staying. And then we had Adrienne. After Gracie, I, I just knew I had to give this child a better life. And so I left young Bolger to care for Goldie. And I spared my daughter the memory of a mother so intoxicated that she could barely feed herself, bathe herself, keep herself conscious. Before I left, I showed Bolger how to turn Goldie on her side when she slept. And in case she slept too long, I showed him how to check her pulse. And then I left. Now, Featherbone, being the perpetual bachelor that you seem to be, you might not understand this, but even after all we went through, I still miss her breath upon me, her hand caressing me, her nose gently brushing the nape of my neck. But then again, if she were here, there would be no me to caress, just this withered old husk I wear like a pauper's cheap suit. The news was delivered in a letter from Adrienne. It was the last correspondence from her I received. It simply read, Goldie is gone now. She has drowned. What a shame. Those lungs, once bursting with song, now flooded. But no matter. Well, would you look at this? I'm finished. I believe I really captured the face. I suppose I know it as well as if it were my own. I even detailed it with a bit of old straw for the hair and some fabric scraps for the suit. Such a strange tradition here in Pleasure Town. This feast of the wretched. Such a coincidence that my arrival would coincide with the festivities. Everyone is so wrapped up in the celebration. They haven't bothered to notice me. But I have noticed them. And I will find the one who is harboring the Sintamani stone. And I will kill him for it. And then I will use it to free myself from your body. But not before I wield it to destroy your spirit. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. Well, still no side to side. I guess, uh, I guess I'll just wait. I mean, waiting has any meaning within the context of eternity. 
sure it's quiet. Except for that wind. And my voice. Si? Cyrus? Huh. I hate to admit it. I miss the old coot. Town listeners, this is Emily Modaf, associate producer of the show. Thanks for tuning in to episode 208. If you like this week's episode, be sure to let us know by leaving us a rate and review on iTunes. You can also find us on Twitter at PleasureTownOK and on Facebook. And now to thank the people who made this episode possible. This episode of Pleasure Town was written by Brooke Allen and Keith Ecker and performed by Michael Calicut, Julian Stroop, Johnny Moran, and Keith Ecker. Editorial oversight by Joe Dassault with help from Robert Anderson and Justin Bull. Our executive producers are Keith Ecker and Aaron Cahoe, who would gladly take the opportunity to grip the hilt of the sword of Attila. Our associate producer is me, Emily Modaff, and our interns are Colin Wright, Brady Guy, Lizzie Seidenstricker, and Joe Courtney. Original music was composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Diger and Tim Hazen, and engineered by Colin Ashmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. Discover more excellent shows at wbez.org slash podcasts. Pleasure Town is an ever-growing interactive narrative which relies on your creativity, your imagination, and especially your voice to expand the legend. Find out how you can join the story at pleasuretownshow.com. <laughs>